Hello, welcome. Thank you for downloading Women in Oxford's History podcast. I'm JC. I'm Bethany. And I'm Alice. This podcast aims to illuminate the lives of women who have made a big impact in Oxford's history, but have since been forgotten. This week, we're going to look at the life of Merce Tate, who was the first African-American female member of the University of Oxford in 1932. Alice has been doing some research into her life. What did you find out, Alice? So she was born Vernie Mers Tate on the 6th of February 1905 in Blanchard, Michigan. And she died in June 1996 in Washington, D.C. Her parents were Charles and Myrtle. Um, She was born in a very rural area and she had a nine-mile walk to school. Despite this, she was extremely passionate about her education She achieved a variety of degrees at different levels and also trained as a teacher. Uh, She taught elementary for a while in Michigan because uh, African-American teachers were not permitted to teach at secondary level before moving to Indiana, where she taught at the high school outside of Indianapolis called Crispus Attucks High School. While she was teaching there, she achieved a part-time master's degree at Columbia and also taught herself French, German and Spanish. Aside from coming to Oxford to do her BLIT, she also travelled to Thailand, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan and the Philippines in connection with the US State Department. After completing her BLIT, she returned to the United States, where she gained a PhD from Harvard in government and international relations, the first African-American woman to do so, and then taught at Bennett College, Morgan State University and finally Howard University, where she became one of the first two female members of staff at the Department of History. Her academic career was concerned with the politics of disarmament and the native people of Hawaii. She retired in 1977 and passed away at the age of 91 in 1996 and was buried beside her mother in Pine River Cemetery, Michigan. It's quite incredible to think about her in Oxford in the 1930s. Bethany, what what was it like then to be a black woman studying at the university at that time? I think that's a really interesting question because what it flags up is the fact that we just have very little evidence for what it was like at that time. So there are a few statistics on how many women there were in the university. So there were only five women's colleges at the time. One of them was in Anne's, which is where um, MERS was. Um, and women had only been able to get degrees from the university since 1920. So really at her period, only for a, just over a decade, women had been actually granted degrees. So we have a little bit um, of information on that side of things. But in terms of statistics on race or diversity or ethnicity, there's really very little there. She was in Oxford at the same time as um, Lady Adamola um, and Eric Williams. So there was a cohort of black students in Oxford at the time. Um, but you really have to do the the legwork to piece together the evidence of this. Um, Didn't she work, Alice, with um, Williams later on in her life? Yeah, so once she finished at Oxford, she gained a PhD from Harvard in government and international relations. And following that, she was granted a teaching position at Howard University, where uh, Eric Williams was a member of staff. And what was particularly interesting about this phase of her life was uh, she did not gain this position easily. So Eric Williams wrote privately to one of his colleagues that he, uh, to quote exactly, I am exposed apparently to a choice between Caroline Ware and Mers Tate. What have I done to deserve that? And I think it's very interesting to think that even within these communities, there were obstacles of sexism as well as uh, as racial tensions to for her to deal with. Absolutely, yeah. 
I think that's one of the things that uh, doesn't often get talked about, um, especially in periods. I know, Alice, you did quite a bit of work looking at what was going on historically. What was it like to be an African-American in the 1930s and in the 1940s? Um, people often just have quite broad, sweeping ideas of this was going on for this community, there was this kind of resistance, this was the result of the resistance. But the nuances that you found, can you give us some of the ideas of what she would have been surrounded with at that time? Yeah, so she, while she was growing up, when she was a young woman, there were several initial developments in the civil rights movement, but main, the, the many of the main achievements didn't happen until the second half of the century. So things like the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People, which was founded in 1909, were beginning to exist. But also there was still in 1925, there was a march from the KKK of 35,000 members on Washington, D.C. Uh, in 1933, there was an unsuccessful attempt to uh, challenge segregation in higher education in the U.S. There were some huge achievements being made by African-American people within the U.S. So 1936, which was the year after she graduated uh, from Oxford University, was the year that Jesse Owens won four gold medals at the Summer Olympics in Berlin. 1940, Hattie McDaniel won the Academy Award for her performance in Gone with the Wind. Yeah. So so there were some uh, achievements, some incredible achievements by African-American people contemporary to her, but it was still an atmosphere of extreme mm-hmm. racial tension in many places. And there were still race riots uh, contemporary to this. Uh, so she was she was growing up and, and, and then later working in a time of, of still uh, increased racial tension in, in America. And that brings us to why we're doing the podcast now. It's October 2017, and in the UK, it's Black History Month. And so a time to reflect upon Black people in the UK who have paved the way um, for others, like Mers did uh, with the work that she did at the University of Oxford. Well, how do you think she saw herself from what you found, mm. Bethany? Um, how did she describe herself in relation to her other students? Yeah, so there is one quote um, that, you know, she says she was aware that she was an interesting freak to the other girls there. Um, so clearly, you know, obviously, undeniably, you know, her race was set her apart in some in some way in such a male, white, middle, upper class society in Oxford. Yeah, so what really struck me about her was the way that she really lived her politics. So she came up against things all the time. She had to fight for her place in all of these institutions and all of these um, groups of people but she was not necessarily one of the most outspoken activists or she wasn't necessarily a leading light for example in the civil rights movement. Um, Yes but she was a contemporary of uh, later at Howard University she was a contemporary of Stokely Carmichael who was a philosophy student there and it was at Howard in around 1942 that the stool sitting technique which became such a huge part of the civil rights movement in the later half of the century was first developed. Yeah. So I think from everything that you've been saying, what strikes me is that she was a woman who refused to tease out gender and race and actually was at the forefront of what we now call um, intersectionality and and recognised that they were intertwined, which I think is why, you know, from the research that you said that she, her outspokenness about gender discrimination, she got a reputation as a personality problem. um, And as we often know that when, when, women are said to be a problem, it's because they might be pointing out some rather uncomfortable um, truths. So it's it's very interesting that she was always facing both rather than 
she was very firm about the discrimination she felt she faced as as a female member of the of the teaching department at Howard. She thought that she was never paid as much as she deserved to be. And of course, the the wage gap is still a huge problem today. Yes, it is. So it's uh, we're really getting the picture of of a woman who, grounded in the incredible education that she had, actually had the foresight to see that these things cannot be separated out and who we are in our totality is how we meet the world. And when I think about her legacy, uh, one of the things that you mentioned, Alice, was, you know, what happened after she died? I think that would be a poignant place to start. What did you find out about that? Yeah, so she died of natural causes uh, in Washington, D.C., and then she was buried beside her mother back in Michigan. But she had no grave marker when she was buried in 1996. And it, it was four years later in 2002 that there was an effort made by the school that she had attended when she was a, a, a young woman to erect a gravestone. And I think it feels like in Oxford there's a similar process happening here where for a long time she wasn't part of a conscious history, but with the new... Um, efforts being made by the university with the diversifying portraiture and the gaps between. We now have this iconic photograph of her on her bicycle um, and get an image of, of this woman in the 1930s who perhaps didn't fit into any boxes and therefore history didn't know what to make of her or what to do with her. But she still left an incredible personal legacy. What were some of the aspects of that legacy? So she was granted a number of honours, the American Historical Association Award for Scholarly Distinction in 1991, she was inducted into Michigan Women's Hall of Fame in the same year. Uh, she she set up a series of scholarships and funds, including a $1 million gift to establish the Mersey Tate Student Education Endowment Fund at West Michigan University, which was her first, her first alma mater. Uh, she explicitly said that this was to thank Western and the other institutions for helping her overcome the barriers of race and sex. And I think that really says it all. She wasn't willing to separate out being black or being a woman. It was always very much about both and about the challenges that that meant for her because she was both at, at, at a time in history when either one of those meant huge obstacles, but both combined meant even more so. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting looking at how we didn't know about her up until quite recently. Like you said, how she managed to slip through the cracks somehow. And how that's a challenge I think we face as historians or as researchers or as people who are interested in uncovering these people in the past is, is finding the sources and finding the material and finding evidence of their existence. And I think that's something that we're, we're going to come up against. But I always think it's really important work to make sure that we are uncovering all these different lives and not just the ones who traditionally end up in the archive. One of the other really interesting things about her life was how well-travelled she was, the wonderful lecture tour that she was able to go on. This led on from earlier in her life when, when she was teaching at Crispus Essex High School, she founded the school travel club. One of the really nice aspects of her legacy is that a, a, an alumnus of Western Michigan University on discovering Mers Tate's story founded the Mers Tate Travel Club in her honour, which is still active. They're going on a trip in 2018. I'd like to thank you, Alice, for all the great work that you've done uncovering 
Merce Tate. We're living in times where more than ever, young women are looking for role models and are looking for inspiration and are wondering, is there a place for me in an institution like Oxford University? I think Merce Tate can be a reminder that it is possible to overcome whatever obstacles that you might face because of the person that you are and still find a place for yourself and not only achieve what you wish to achieve, but leave a legacy beyond that that changes other people's lives. Thank you for listening to Women in Oxford's History. Do join us next month when we uncover the journey of another woman who had a great impact on Oxford. For more information about Mers Tate, visit our website at www.womenofoxford.org. Here you can find a blog post including photographs of MERS.